Hello and welcome back to the latest Mouth of Time podcast brought to you by the Shields Gazette. I'm Joe Buck and today I'm joined by Dom Skirt to reflect on what's been another crazy season in the life of Newcastle United. Uh, Dom, first of all, how are you? How's things? Yeah, I'm not bad. I mean, just saying before, missing the football already because what a season it's been for Newcastle United. Ended in best way possible, back-to-back wins, 11th in the table. It's something just no one saw coming. Um, probably when Eddie Howe took over, even as late as January, February, when the club was still in the relegation zone. It's just great to see, and we're looking forward to what will hopefully be a bright future for Newcastle United. Absolutely. As you say, win over Burnley to end the season. Um, it sort of got, I think for me, it got lost in the whole, you know, the last day of the season, all the drama going around the grounds. It sort of lost the fact that Newcastle actually, as you say, won a game, you know, move up to, move up to 11th with a win, back-to-back wins. What were your thoughts on it? Because for me, it was... A proper, it felt like a proper Eddie Howe performance. They got went in, no, no messing about, and got the job done, and did what they needed to do. Yeah, it was it was bizarre, really. Just the entire circumstances surrounding the day, what was going on elsewhere. There was almost more attention to what was going on elsewhere than what was actually going on the, in the pitch with the likes of uh, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Man City, uh, the likes, and um, obviously Leeds at Brentford as well. Um, but yeah, I think first half it was what would expect from Newcastle and Eddie Howe getting that um, penalty, which was a was a clear penalty, thanks to VAR. Callum Wilson, nice to see him getting back on the score sheet. But it's just one of them where I, I pointed out at the time that the contrast between this performance and what we saw from Newcastle against Burnley at St James's Park back in December, which was such a, a tough sort of grinding out 1-0 win, where it was two poor teams coming together without any real confidence, they just needed to get the job done. And that sort of kick-started Newcastle season back in December, that first win of the campaign. And then final day, sitting comfortable, looking to get in the top 10, unfortunately just fell short. The, just, the confidence um, the side um, showed, obviously boosted by the January signings, was just it was just chalk and cheese, I thought. And OK, second half, Burnley gave it a go once it went to 2-0, as you'd expect, they're fighting for the lives they needed at least two goals to have a chance of staying up. But I thought Newcastle, it was just a case of getting the job done. I think last 10 minutes, or sorry, after Burnley scored, 10 minutes after Burnley scored, Corny, um, there was a spell where Burnley pushed, but I thought Martin Dubravka sort of stood up to the challenge, made a few good saves, and the likes of Dan Byrne and Jamal LaSalle's in front of him were excellent as well. So just a, a professional performance from Newcastle, and they deserved three points in the end. Absolutely. I think, as you mentioned, them 10 minutes just after Burnley had scored, obviously, that was, for me, that was the most impressive bit of the day because they, they weathered the storm and they had to, and they did superbly well to not concede um, any chances. I know Burnley went close and maybe there was a bit of luck on their side, but the, it was pretty much, it was a very good performance. And Callum Wilson's brace, they were, I can't think of any more tra- more trademark Callum Wilson goals than them two, a well-taken penalty. And, you know, the, the next one was just, he was in the right position at the right time and yeah, perfect strikers performance. What did you make of uh, Callum Wilson after, again, p- impressing against Arsenal and then again a turf more on Sunday? Yeah, I thought he was really good against Arsenal. I know I got um, a bit of abuse for giving him just an 8 out of 10 in my polar ratings, but I gave him a 9 uh, this weekend because he scored two goals. You can't can't argue with that. Um, I thought he, he led the line brilliantly well. He, he's got that energy, that movement that just few other strikers in the Premier League have. And he's one of them where if he's fit, if he plays 35, 38 games a season, 
he he will push 20 goals. He just gets in those positions. And I think the second goal in particular was um, a particularly impressive goal where Alan St. Maximin doing what he does, running at defenders, brings players in and Callum Wilson just sort of peels off into space. Simple tapping for him. And he did that actually about a minute earlier. It's just Miguel Almiron going down the left instead of going for the pass, just blasted it. And you could tell Callum Wilson wasn't happy with that because that was a easy tapping for him. And just from a finisher's movement point of view, other than probably Harry Kane um, in the Premier League, I'd say in terms of English strikers, Callum Wilson is probably the best of the rest um, in that regard. And Newcastle are, are lucky, to, lucky to have him, really. I think he could be the answer to Newcastle's attacking problems, providing he stays fit. But that is obviously going to be the big question mark. But listening to him speaking on his podcast this week, he, he's got plans in place to really sort of make sure he's fit and fighting and ready for the start of the new season. And he'll be looking to push for that um, England squad for the World Cup as well. And if you can keep up the sort of goal-scoring form, I think it was 16 starts, 18 starts, scored eight goals, um, the season just finished. If you can keep up that sort of record, one one goal every two games type thing, then there's no reason why you shouldn't be on the plane to Qatar. Absolutely. I think it's it was just capped off a great last few games. And I'm, I'm sort of glad that he wasn't rushed back into the team. I think that we've seen the very best mm. of Callum Wilson these last couple of games. Um yeah, it was. I would agree with everything he said. It was perfect, and I did think that if Saint Maximin hadn't crossed that ball from for the goal, I did think that he might explode because you're right. He did have a. He did dig out Almiron um, for not passing, but that was pretty much. I think the only thing they did wrong throughout the whole game, really. And what was a very difficult, what could have been a very difficult atmosphere to play in. You know, Burnley obviously they end up going down, but they were out the start of the day outside the relegation zone. What was what was it like being obviously in the press box with you know in in amongst the Burnley fans? What was the general atmosphere at Turf Moor like throughout the day, and obviously when goals were going in at, at other grounds? It was it was bizarre. I, I haven't seen anything like it really. Um, there was Burnley, obviously, they've been in the Premier League the last five six years. That used to being in the championship. There was a bit of an acceptance, I felt, personally, on the full-time whistle. The players getting applauded um, off the field. A few boos ringing out, which, I mean, if that was Newcastle going down, it'd be a, a little bit more than a polite applause at the end. But it was it was just interesting to see. At the first half, Newcastle well on top. Leeds, obviously, um, went ahead of Brentford as well. Um, just interesting to see how that played out. And then, obviously, you get the sort of stereotypical rumours, oh, Brentford have equalised, Brentford have took the lead. No, there's fake cheers in the crowd and, and things like that. But when once it went 2-1, it was bizarre because the sort of football purist in me, sort of getting a ri- rid of the Newcastle sort of fan element, it was sort of like so on the edge of your seat looking at Burnley, not wanting them to score, but it would be like, God, it would be ridiculous if they did score and then it's another twist and turn it was just proper blockbuster Premier League action if you like considering what was also going on elsewhere and then yeah the sort of atmosphere in the press box we had fans turning to us in the press boxes the people with laptops knowing the scores knowing what was going on and were shouting updates to, to fans and um, it's just just a real bizarre sort of situation but thankfully it worked out for Newcastle unfortunately it didn't for Burnley, but to be fair, their fans handled themselves brilliantly. No pitch invasions or any of that and nonsense. They just, like I say, almost accepted the relegation and um, just applauded the players off the pitch with just a few boos ringing out as well. Yeah, it was because uh, I was sort of maybe expecting a bit of 
unseen. I don't know about. I don't know, but I think there was potentially something between Newcastle and Burnley fans. You think there might be a bit of, you know, Mickey taken from one. It could turn sort of angry, but it, as you say, it didn't really. It was. I think it was all in good spirits. There was a couple of singing from Newcastle end, but nothing. Yeah, I heard that. But nothing. I wouldn't say nothing vicious against Burnley. It was just, you know, you're in a you're in a stadium. The other team are losing. You're winning. You know, it was that sort of atmosphere. But yeah, it was as you say, it was a weird atmosphere to experience. Something that I hope I never have to experience from Newcastle's point of view ever again. Um, yeah. I hope we're more Liverpool, Man City on the final day than than Burnley. <laughs> I tell you that. But um, yeah, another it was just bit, lovely though. Um, sorry, Joe. Sorry. Um, no, no. But, I was just going to continue. I was going to. Yeah, on. I was just saying it was just lovely to go into that game yeah. knowing the pressure is off because that was builders the game that could decide it. And Newcastle just played without any pressure, just got the job done. And it was it was nice knowing that for all the twists and turns that were going on throughout that uh, Sunday afternoon, the only result Newcastle really cared about elsewhere was, I guess, Brighton against West Ham, where oh, if uh, West Ham won that, Newcastle would have finished in the top 10. And they were in the top 10 for all of about 15 minutes. But it was just, just nice to see them ending the season in 11th place. It's very, very respectable considering where they were. Really is. I mean, if you'd offered eleven players from the beginning of the season, I think everyone would have taken that. Never mind yeah. where they were fourteen games in in December, and even even in January, where before they played Leeds, you know, one win and they've still only got one win in January. But but yeah, it was a good end of the season, and it just, as you say, it just makes me look. You know, I'm so excited for next season, but we have got we've got quite a long way to go then. But um, one bit of news from Newcastle this week was Sean Longstaff. Uh, sign his new contract, a three-year extension. Miles alluded to it last week. That's been confirmed. Uh, Dom, do you think it's a good a good move for the for the club and for Longstaff? Yeah, I think it's a sensible move for all parties, really. Sean Longstaff, like he said in his interview, he's a Newcastle lad. He did have his doubts about um, staying at the club when Steve Bruce was still in charge. But the way the club's been reinvigorated by Eddie Howe coming in by the takeover, he'd almost been daft not to want to be part of it. He, he has got the best years of his career still ahead of him, you'd like to think at just 24. So he'll, he'll feel he still has a lot to offer. And I think what we've seen on the pitch from Sean Longstaff, the games he has played under Eddie Howe, particularly the last two games to end the season, I think he's been probably a, a contender for man of the match in both Arsenal and, and Burnley. I think he's been really sort of held his own in the midfield and then um, got stuck in. And, and that's what, what you want to see from, from Sean Longstaff. And I think Eddie Howe's believed in him and it's just whether he'll be able to get the game time moving forward obviously he would have had concerns about that Eddie Howe it's going to be hard to guarantee that sort of game time when you've brought Bruno in you're linked with bringing more midfielders in um, over the summer Joe Linton's been a revelation in midfield John Joe Shelby's been in good form what I would say and that, maybe this is me stirring the pot slightly but where does it leave John Joe Shelby in terms of his long-term future at the club now? Sean Longstaff signed a new uh, three-year deal. Um, will John Joe Shelby now start thinking, where does my future lie with him being the wrong side of 30 now? But um, in terms of Sean Longstaff, it, it makes sense to have a, a Geordie lad still with the best years, like I say, of his career ahead of him, um, who's proven his own in the Premier League, will hopefully only get better and even if he's not necessarily going to be a starter, having him as a squad player, like Paul Dummett to an extent, uh, probably more so in Longstaff's case, um, a squad player, um, it, it can only benefit Newcastle moving forward because he's ultimately a reliable presence who knows the club inside out. 
Absolutely. I think it's, as you say, it's just a sensible decision from a club who've recently made a lot of really good, sensible decisions. Um, Just, as you say, you know, getting Shah and Dummett, they both extended recently. They're all players who you'd probably, it probably cost quite a lot to replace, especially in Fabian Shah's case. I think finding a ball playing defender like him is, you know, it's going to cost upwards of 10, 20 million. So when you've got them on the books, you may as well keep them. And yeah, I think it, for me, Longstaff, Ads in the dressing room. I think he probably, you know, he knows the club. He's probably a good person to have around the club. And I think you need that, especially when the, the club is going to transition to where we hope it's going to be next year and the next couple of years. You need players who are going to help maintain the culture that Eddie Howe wants to wants to instill in it. And I think Longstaff pretty much, you know, guarantees that, you, you know, there's not going to be any problems with him. He's going to give 100%. He's going to do his job. And Howe can clearly rely on him to do, to do what he asks because he's been thrown in these last couple of games. And as you say, man the match displays he's been really solid so absolutely I think it's a, a great decision and it's good good to see him admit that you know that he's fallen back in love with the club and that mm. he's back on enjoying his football because the long staff we saw under Rafa Benitez was was unplayable at times he really was so hopefully he gets back to that because I think every Newcastle fan wants to see him you know in the Newcastle midfield and and dominating that midfield because he can do it we've seen it um so yeah hopefully that's a sign of things to come, especially his last couple of performances. But yeah. um, talking about Eddie Howe, he was snubbed for manager of the year. I think that's what we know say the word snubbed. I think for me, I think I think he was snubbed. I think for Jurgen Klopp to get it, finishing second place. I know that potential of three trophies, but I think it should have been Eddie Howe. We touched on it last week. Are you still on the view there should have been Eddie Howe? Yeah, I could see why Klopp um, got it. Um, but like I said on the podcast last week, I think if Klopp won the Premier League, it would have been a surefire uh, win for him. I think what has happened is Klopp's performances in the other competitions has obviously had some bearing on the result. Obviously, being 12 points behind Man City, to take them to the final day in the Premier League is an achievement in itself. To do that while also reaching the final of every knockout tournament you're in is is very impressive. You've got to hold hold your hands up to that but it's the Premier League manager of the season and and you look at it do you give it to the manager who's won the Premier League like has happened in the previous five six years or so I think the last manager not to win the Premier League um, and win manager of the season was Tony Pulis at Crystal Palace who came in in November Palace side in the relegation zone got them 11th in the Premier League table now that is almost identical to what Eddie Howe achieved uh, this season at Newcastle so whether he got the award or not, you, you can't take anything away from the job Eddie Howe's done at Newcastle. It's been staggering, really. Obviously, he's been helped by the transfer window, the money money spent, but he has had to coordinate that transfer window to bring the players in. And how often do you see, under the sort of pressure cooker situation of a January window, Newcastle make five signings or a club make five signings, some big money signings as well, and every signing in their own way has paid off and made a big difference. I saw. I think Eddie Howe deserves credit for that. You can use that 100 million or whatever, 90, 90 million spent in January as a sort of weapon to play down Eddie Howe's achievements. But I'd use it as a sort of um, factor in why he has been so good because Newcastle operated without a director of football, without anyone sort of helping... Um, bring the transfers in as such in terms of an employee at the club, just him and Steve Nixon. And it, it, 
Eddie Howe's just worked wonders, bringing in Kieran Trippier, bringing in Chris Wood, Bruno, who's probably been one of the signings of the season. Um, and then Matt Togg, Dan Byrne as well, just helping reinforce things at the back. And the run of form in 2022, like like we've touched on several times, um, I feel like I mention it in every article I write, um, only Man City and Liverpool picking up more points in 2022. For a side who in 2021 and conceded more Premier League goals than any other side in history, had won one in 20 games in the Premier League. That is just a staggering turnaround, no matter what way you look at it. And Eddie Howe just deserves all the all the credit in the world, all the plaudits in the world. Absolutely. I think the amount, amount of times we mentioned that uh, almost every player has improved under his management. I can't think of a single one who's either stagnated or gone backwards. So, yeah, he's, his impact's been unbelievable. And, and I'm so excited. As you, as you say, his success in January was so good. I'm so excited to see what they could do with the summer to A, train the squad and B, to bring in all these players that they want to bring in because it's, yeah, as we mentioned, it's going to be such an exciting few months for Newcastle fans. Um, but looking back over the season as a whole, as you say, 11th place finish, 49 points. Good, well, fantastic effort from where they were. Who would who would you have as your player of the season? Now, I know we talked about it last week. I don't think we're probably in too much disagreement here, but Dom, I'll let you go. Player of the season for you? Yeah, it's, it's got to be Joe Linton. And like we said last week, he won the club's player of the season, deserved. I mean, we've talked about him time and time again on this podcast. Just a ridiculous turnaround. He's epitomised Newcastle in a way in the fact that he's just gone from down here to one of the best sort of players in his position in the Premier League. And it's it's just remarkable to see. He's been like... It's a cliche being like a new signing himself and he's looking like that 40 million plus um, player that we thought we got in, who we thought was a striker. Turns out he's just an absolutely fantastic midfielder in terms of breaking the play up and he's managed to contribute a few goals too. I think four goals for the season probably is his best goal scoring season in the Premier League for Newcastle, even though he's played midfield for the most part. So it's just... I don't know. It's, I, I've lost for words in how it's happened. I think credit has to go to Eddie Howe. Backhanded credit has to go to Kieran Clark for getting sent off. Um, but, yeah, it's just a masterstroke and fair play to Joe Linton. The, the sort of mentality and the characteristics he's had to overcome that adversity, keep trying hard, and um, his, his work rate has just made him a, a sort of force to be reckoned with in that midfield. And hopefully um, he can carry on that into next season and, and who knows if, if he does I mean probably wishful thinking but maybe he could be going to the World Cup too with Brazil and, and Bruno potentially as well I, I'm not going to bore anyone with anything else about Joe Linton from me but I agree with yeah everything he said so definitely play of the season for me um, if, goal of, oh, sorry Joe if it wasn't Joe Linton oh, who would you pick uh, I think Fabian Cher I think his turnaround's been uh, just as good and I think he Along with Dan Byrne um, in the back, you know, that's one of the main reasons the defence of all, you know, joined together and are much improved from January and Fabian Scher has played a massive, massive part in that. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. That, that was probably mine in the way Fabian Scher is just, I think, every since he came back into the side, he's another one under Bruce, never really had much of a look in and wasn't really performing when he, when he did play. And then under Howe, recognised him straight away, brought him in in that Brentford game and pretty much... Took a few games to get going, but hasn't looked back since and, and played a key role in in Newcastle's turnaround and the way they've been so solid defensively, keeping eight, eight clean sheets since um, Fabian Cher came into the side, having failed to keep 
a single one before that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, Martin Dubravka also nominated for Save of the Season for his effort against Man City and um, Miguel Almiron is strike against Crystal Palace to be nominated for goal of the year. So hopefully a couple more awards come in Newcastle's way. But um, but yeah, so talking about Miguel Almiron's goal. Now, for me, that probably would be goal of the season. Technically, the, the technique of it, the whole move for me was pretty much superb. But for my goal of the season, I think I'll go for Callum Wilson's at Crystal Palace. Mm. The overhead kick was was tremendous. It was a goal that Newcastle absolutely needed at that point because Crystal Palace looked like just walking away with three points and they managed to get a draw out of that game. Um, and the technique for the overhead kick was was absolutely fantastic. So that would be my goal of the season. What about you? Yeah, I think that, that was a, certainly a great goal. It probably gets sort of forgotten about slightly would have been before Eddie Howe um, or before the takeover. Even. Um, I, I think it's hard to look past Almiron's the the technique from Bruno taking it on his chest, the, the sort of volleyed pass, the way Almiron took it down. It, it, no criticism to Almiron. I know he's, he's been criticised by a certain Manchester City player this week, but it's just nothing we've sort of expected from Almiron. Okay, the pace and work rate, but the way he's controlled that ball, shrugged off um, the defender Mitchell and, and just curled it with his left foot in the top top left corner. It's just an unbelievable finish and rightly nominated for for... The Premier League's goal of the season, not just Newcastle's goal of the season. And another one that probably deserves a mention as well, Bruno, um, his his sort of flick against Southampton just for the sheer surprise factor of it. It was you first see it and you're like, what's happened there? He's just seemed to it looked a bit scrappy, but you see the replay, it's completely intentional. Back heel volley, just ridiculous. So that deserves a mention as well. But I think Miguel Almiron v Palace for me. Both goals uh, coming against Crystal Palace. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention that Bruno flick because for me, that would be in there with moment of the season. Now, I was thinking about this, the moments of the season. For me, there's, there's little bits. Obviously, you've got the takeover, but we'll concentrate on, on, you know, on the field moments. You mentioned sort of tongue-in-cheek, the Kieran Clark moment, but that, you know, that really was a turning point for Newcastle's season. And then you've got, you know, the, the game away at Leeds, John Joe Shelby's free kick. If Newcastle don't get the win that day, how different is that last week of the window? You know, they go to Saudi Arabia without, you know, with only one win. Instead, they're going mm. there with two wins after that. Um, but for me, the, the moment has to be Bruno's last-minute goal against Leicester. I think the, obviously, the goal the goal itself, actually, is a really well-worked goal, you know, with Matt Target yeah. first keeping the ball in, Willock driving down, and then the header was put pretty much the only place Casper Schmeichel couldn't get to it. But the whole atmosphere at St. James's that day when that goal went in was, it was something I've never felt in a long time. Um, so mm. that would be my moment of the season. Yeah, that's that one was probably the closest I've come to celebrating in the press box this season. Um, obviously, I didn't. I'm professional, but um, I, I came pretty close when Bruno headed that in. Um, I think the takeover. I know you say off the not stuff on the pitch, but um, just being at St James's Park when the sort of situation was unfolding, and then when it finally uh, came to light, it just erupting. It was. Just shows the special club Newcastle is, and it was quite quite emotional um, watching that and, and seeing it all unfold. Sky Sports News being there, the fans just shows how much it means to the fans. And um, obviously, I think since then it's transferred into St James's Park itself with the war flags, the displays. I think a moment of the season for me, aside from the takeover, the Arsenal game in general, the war flags display before that, that atmosphere. That was probably game of the season for me if, if we're going to pick one. And um, 
after the game, watching the, the players, the owners, um, staff walking around the pitch and just being serenaded by 50, 50 plus thousand Geordies was, was just magical. And it just shows you've just beat the team, challenging for the top four, played them off the park, actually. And everyone's just together, united, getting that pitch at the end. I thought that was a special moment. It was quite an emotional moment, really. And it, it goes to show just the sky's the limit for Newcastle as it stands um, under these owners, under Eddie Howe. And it, it just makes you really excited about the future. But I have to recognise that Bruno moment, um, obviously scoring against Leicester. I think, I'm trying to think... Um, Kieran Trippier's free kick against Everton, that was a yeah. that was a big one. That was probably the moment where winning that game, you sort of like might actually have a chance of staying up here. Absolutely. I think um, it went from hope to belief at that point. I think it was hope mm. after the Leeds, but yeah, you're right. When you beat Everton in that moment, you think actually, yeah, the team can do this. So I agree with that one. Yeah, and um I'm trying to think the the moment where I was like, no, Newcastle are staying up here. When it was, it went from belief to actually a bit of confidence. Was probably after the Brighton win, um, the two two one at St James's Park. Um, wasn't the greatest game by any means, but that was probably the moment where I was like, yeah, Newcastle have got quite a lot behind them. Even if they struggle, they still should have enough here. But. Moment of the season for me, other than the takeover, is probably that Arsenal game just afterwards, just taking it all in, taking the atmosphere in the war flags display. Just a great moment to cap off what, although I can't believe I'm saying this, a great season. Absolutely. Um, as you say, that Arsenal game was sort of, I know we had the play Burnley the weekend, but it was a culmination of everything this season. And they give the crowd and the players and owners and everyone a moment together and, you know, in reflection of what a great season has been. It was you know, there's going to be a few players leaving Newcastle this summer. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk about them in future um, if and when the departures are confirmed. But one person who may or may not be back is Matt Target. Now, he's been sensational when he, since joining in January. He's been solid 7, 8 out of 10 every week. You know, he never puts a foot wrong. Um, whether they make it permanent or not, there's a lot to talk about, you know, Renan Lodi from Atletico Madrid. What are, what are your thoughts about Matt Target and have you got a, a preference between him or Lodi or are you both or neither? What's what's your thoughts? It's hard because Target's been here for the past, what, since January. So it, you sort of have an affection for him because he has, like you say, performed very well, very consistently for the most part as well. And £15 million in today's market, minus the £2 million they paid to Villa for, for the loan fee. So effectively... 13 million in terms of a um, summer spend. It seems like just obvious business. He's 26. He's still got a good few years ahead of him. Um, what you will say is he's still contracted to Aston Villa. He's from down south. Fulham coming back up in the Premier League where he's, he's been at previously. Will he maybe favour being down south? There was stuff on Instagram as well with his girlfriend implying it was a short but sweet stay, which was then then changes lots of different factors. I think I think Matt Target would be open to staying. I think Eddie Howe is certainly open to keeping him. Whether a deal can be done, um, it shouldn't be a hard deal, deal to do because of the sort of um, option of buying the, in um, Matt Target for the 15 million. But um, when you want to kick on to the next level, Matt Target's very much been a, an effective player in Newcastle being a sort of mid-table Premier League club, getting to the next level in terms of 
going getting out of the relegation zone. He's been very effective to that. Is he going to be that left back? Considering Paul Dummett's already contracted, Dan Byrne contracted, who are both players who could potentially play left back. Do you look and try and get that next level? And and Lodi probably falls into that bracket. Knows Kieran Trippier, knows Bruno as well. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Obviously, if if it's talk of pain, um, two three times as much for him opposed to get Matt Target. I'd personally just get Matt Target, who's a tried and tested Premier League player, stays fit um, most weeks, very rarely injured, um, reliable presence, and then you can sort of build from there. Um, my preference would be just get targeting, get the ball rolling early. It's an easy deal to do. You're paying 13 million, um, just get it done. But depends what Eddie Howe wants. Does he want someone more attacking, which is something Lodi could probably bring? I haven't seen a lot of him, um, other than a few times I've watched Atletico. But I'm sure Kieran Trippier would probably have good words to say about him. But it's one of them. We'll see what happens. But my preference would certainly be to just get target in and, and get the ball rolling. Absolutely. I think for once in the summer, I've got faith that the owners, the management know the players they want. They'll go out and get them and, you know, they'll improve Newcastle. And I've got full faith that whatever structure they've got behind the scenes will will get the right right people in for the for the future. Um, last one, a quick answer. Expectations for next season. Where would, What would you like to see Newcastle? Where would you like to see them finish? What, what are you expecting for next season? I think like we discussed last week, it, it's tough now. You've got a 11th place finish, 10th isn't going to be good enough, 9th probably isn't going to be good enough, even though we would have probably accepted that had Newcastle just survived uh, the drop as we were probably all expecting. So you've got to be looking to be the best of the rest, if you like. So outside of the big big six, if you like, um, being that West Ham, that Wolves, that Leicester, finishing the, the best of the rest, 7th or 8th, challenging for the, the Europa League, the Europa Conference League, I think that's got to be the expectation now. Um just because of how strongly Newcastle have finished the season. You can't be settling for 11th, 10th again, even if probably if you offered, if we were talking about that uh, four or five months ago, we would have definitely taken it. So, yeah, you've got to be challenging to be the best of the rest. Absolutely. We, we sound like deluded Geordies, Dom, but we're not, I'll tell you. That's uh, <laughs> no. exactly what we want to, want to be looking for next season. But that's all for us for this week. Um, you can subscribe to the Shields Gazette website for unlimited ad like access to all our Newcastle United coverage. Just visit shieldsgazette.com forward slash subscriptions for more info. Thanks everyone for listening to the latest Mouth of Time podcast. Thank you, Don, for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Sure.